The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stay, be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have said in your word that the battle is not ours, but it is yours. The armor is yours. All that we stand in is provided by Jesus. So we stand in all of that armor that Jesus has given us. Help us to learn how to stand against the attacks of the evil one. We pray for Randall as he speaks this morning that your anointing, your unction would be so heavy upon him that he can do nothing but speak forth your word to us. We pray for open hearts, open minds to receive and to hear what the Holy Spirit would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nancy. All right, good morning, everyone. Again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Randall. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace City. And um, over the past few weeks, we've been uh, going through this series called The Struggle is Real. Um, As you know, uh, many of us have started to feel the overwhelming pressure and the struggle that's happened uh, recently with uh, just the thought that uh, Christmas could be upon us and all of these things just hitting us um, all over the place and and just thinking to ourselves like there is a huge struggle that I'm facing uh, right now. And so what we've been talking about is we've been going through really what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 lays out for us. Um, and so in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says that, um, you know, we, the struggle is we follow the course of this world, uh, following the prince of the air, um, and then also the passions of our flesh. And so what we've talked about is our struggle, as we kind of narrow it down from what the Bible says, is that we struggle with the flesh, the world, and the devil, And so last but not least, we're going to be talking about this struggle with the spiritual world, with the devil. Um, And I want to say this up front, you know, a lot of what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks has not been exhaustive, right? It's like skimming the surface. And so we talked about the flesh the first week, not exhaustive, right? Like that's like the beginning stages. The Bible talks about so much more, but I'm, I'm really getting you guys set up. So we talked about the world. And even today, when we talk about the spiritual reality that the Bible talks about, it's not exhaustive, but I hope today it gets you started thinking biblically, okay? And so um, our text today is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. 
And just to prepare for this message, I've read over different pastors that I respect, reading about what they talk about in this, theologians, uh, church history, um, because when it comes down to this, this idea of the spiritual struggle that we face, there's a lot of ideas and concepts that are out there, but they might not be biblical, right? And so when we're talking about the Bible, I want to have a biblical idea of what this looks like. And so our message today is the spiritual struggle. And here's how I want to start. I've been talking with people recently about this idea that when they get their phone out, that somebody or something could be listening to them. Right, like I'm having conversations where people are like, Randall, Siri has to always be listening to you all the time. And here's why I believe that, because I get these messages or I get on my Facebook page and there's like directed, targeted advertisements towards me. And so, Randall, I believe that Siri is always listening. It's giving me targeted advertising and also news And it kind of messes with me. Now, here's the thing. The thought that something or someone could be listening to us and then shaping a targeted marketing newsfeed campaign specific to us, playing off of some of our desires. Oh, I want that thing. Playing off of some of our fears. Playing off of some of our vulnerabilities. Let's be honest, that is unsettling, isn't it? Because we think to ourselves, no one should have that type of access into my life. Siri, you don't have that type of access into my life. But the Bible tells us that whether we believe it or not, there is a targeted campaign specifically crafted for you by an invisible force. And the goal of this campaign is to draw you away from God and destroy your life. And some of you think right now, come on, really? But the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here's the thing, Paul says that all of us live in a world where there is a spiritual force that is strategically trying to fill our life with temptation, negativity, evil, and its aim is to destroy you. You say, well, that's really hard for me to believe. Really, could that be true? But then you have those days where you probably think to yourself, is someone out to get me? because this is one of the worst days I've had in a long time. See, John 10, 10, Jesus tells us the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus informs us that there is an enemy and his goal is to steal, kill and destroy. And based off of that information, what I just told you about the evil spiritual forces in the world, do you believe that it's true? Because Jesus did. And if we look at the life and teachings of Jesus, he faced those evil forces. 
And so on the topic of spiritual warfare, we are prone to lean into one of two directions or views. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils and demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delights. And so let me point out, some of us are excited about the topic to talk about spiritual warfare because you believe. And so it's easy for you to adopt this and say, okay, this is what's happening in the world. But let me warn that you could be prone to an unhealthy and excessive interest in the devil, the demonic, and evil. And I have to say that because as we enter into Halloween this week, our culture loves darkness. Okay, and so that we are drawn, maybe prone to have an unhealthy belief. Others of us have a, a strong disbelief that it even exists. And Lewis, who started out as a strong skeptic to Christianity, points out that both of these dangerous views play right into the devil's trap. See, I grew up in a home where uh, ghost shows and the supernatural was, it was an accepted reality. My, my family would watch it all the time and I was always spooked by all of these shows that I was watching. Uh, but because embedded within my Hawaiian heritage is a deep belief in the supernatural. So when I heard that the Bible gives language to what I already had believed in, it wasn't hard for me to accept that it was there. But for many of us today, your background or culture might not have allowed for that. And, and so this topic of a spiritual struggle is, is hard for you to take seriously. And if that's you, would you consider these four questions? The first one is this. Could your view of the world be too simplistic? Uh, Charles Taylor wrote a book about our age, the age in which we live in, and he calls it the secular age, in which we have created for us a world in which we don't have room for the supernatural. He calls it the imminent frame, and he says that you and I live in a disenchanted age as the secular age. But he says that there's something within us that it's hard for us to let go that there could be the supernatural See, why are there ghost shows and things that are on TV that draw us into believing that maybe there could be a supernatural world? And so maybe our view of the world could be too simplistic, disenchanted like Taylor talks about. Second question is this, could your view of the world be too culturally narrow? See, there are other places in the world and I've traveled to different places all over the world and, and seeing that when it comes to the supernatural and the spiritual reality, they don't have a hard time believing it. But it's us Westerners that do. And so maybe our cultural perspective could be too narrow and we can learn something from our brothers and sisters that live in different places within the world. Third question, do you believe in God? Here's the thing about God. God is invisible and we believe in him. We believe that he's there. So why not believe in the possibility of an invisible world and that it's there? And lastly, is there 
in unexplainable darkness that you simply can't defeat. See, when we come into the world, there, there are things that we have to face and the reality of that, that it's hard for us to put a name to it other than that was evil. And so is there something, a darkness that we just can't defeat? Timothy Keller says this. He says, if the Bible is true, and it is, then you will not be able to understand, let alone defeat on your own, the darkness in your own heart, in your family, in the city, in the world. It's beyond you. We're in over our heads unless God is helping us. It's not going to just take psychology and sociology. He says that there is a darkness. There is something that we face that we can't explain. And so as we head into this, I want to shape and form a biblical perspective of the devil and demons before we jump into what it says in Ephesians 6. And so the first thing biblically that we need to know about the devil and demons is this, that they are created. They are created beings. Theologian William Gouge wrote, the demons by creation were good angels, as powerful, wise, quick, speedy, invisible, and immortal as any other good angel. See, the fact that they are created beings, angels, is important because we need to realize that the battle we are in is not equal. It's not equal, okay? And so the universe, when we look at the Bible, is not yin and yang forces, good and evil, fighting against each other, which one's gonna win? But it's actually this, that God is not worried about losing to Satan. Okay, we need to understand this theologically. The, the devil and demons do not share the same characteristics as God. Like omniscience. Omniscience is just knowing all things. The demons and the devil do not have that capacity. Only God does. Omnipresence, which means that God, he has the ability to be everywhere at all times. But demons and the devil do not have omnipresence. Okay, and so when you think to yourself, oh man, like, my coffee is really hot right now. It's burned me. That was the devil. I'm sorry, but that is not the devil. The devil was not in your coffee, okay? Omnipotence, which means all-powerful. The devil and demons are not all-powerful. See, God alone is the only one who is the unlimited creator of all things. The devil and demons are limited created beings, and they didn't create anything. Okay, they didn't create anything because maybe you've heard before, well, the, the rock music is of the devil and all this stuff. Like, here's the thing. He's never created anything. He's only distorted it. That's the work of the devil. He distorts, he doesn't create. And so the second part of this is this, that we need to understand from a Bible perspective is they are fallen. See, the fall of Satan and demons is mysterious, but the Bible does give us some insight into their demise. And so... Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, many scholars believe that this was the fall of Satan. Luke uh, 10, 18, Jesus talks about the fall of Satan. Uh, Revelation 12 gives us a glimpse into their story and in, in, in the fall of the angels. This is a third of the angels fell. And so these verses have been used throughout church history to describe the fall of Satan and his demons. And what we find out is that the ultimate root of their fall is pride. It was pride. It was that Satan wanted to lift himself up and be equal to God. Augustine once said, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. 
Lastly, they are enemies. Here are some of the descriptions of the devil and demons. The destroyer, the accuser, our adversary, the deceiver, our enemy, the father of lies, the God of this world, the dragon, the serpent, the tempter. You see, the devil and demons are against the things of God and aim to drag you and me down with them. And you know their work when you hear a lot of accusations in your head. And here's what most of those accusations start with. You, 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 you. It's as if somebody's on the outside saying how terrible of a person you are. Starts with that. Thomas Brooks says, if God were not my friend, Satan would not be so much my enemy. And so today, as we jump into this text in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 18, I'm really gonna bear down on the first three verses and, and uh, you know, be able to read through some of the, the second part, but really focus on these first three because um, these verses at the end of Ephesians are extremely important for the flow of the book of Ephesians because uh, this right here is the culmination of what Paul is talking about to the Ephesian church. And it, it's an encouragement for each Christian to realize that they're not just walking into life Every day, easy peasy, it's going to be great, it's going to be easy. But he says, you are walking into a battle, a struggle. And so he wants the church to understand that. Commentator John Stott breaks down the book of Ephesians by saying the first five chapters as uh, the purposes of God. So the first five chapters talking about the purpose of God, the last chapter being about the existence of the devil and is opposed to those purposes. He's opposed to the purposes of God. And so uh, Paul is finishing out here talking about that. And so in order for us to know how the devil works, the schemes of the devil as the Ephesians uh, talks about, we need to ask three questions from this text. Three questions from this text. So the first question is this. How does he work? The second is, where is he present? And the third is, how is he defeated? Okay, so how does he work? Where is he present? How is he defeated? And so the first one is this. How does he work? Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So first off, uh, verse 11 tells us how he works. It says the devil's schemes. Now, the word here for schemes is methodea. And um, the, the different translations can translate it as uh, investigate methodically and to craftily frame deception. Okay, and so that's what this, this talks about. And, and um, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, uh, as he writes about uh, how a demon would tempt a human being, um, people throughout, you know, the time when he, he wrote, uh, different reporters who read it and things say, how did you know how the human heart works so much? How do you know these temptations so well? And he says, it's because I've faced every single one of them. Okay, and so there is like this methodical way in which we're tempted. Uh, this type of deception is all around us. And so I need to illustrate. Um, David Lazarus and... 
uh, March 2017, wrote an article entitled, Whatever You Do, Don't Say Yes When This Chatbot Asks, Can You Hear Me? Okay, and here's what he says. It's the most cunning robocall scam I've encountered. And the fact that I've fallen for it more than once tells you how successful it can be. The phone rings, you pick it up and say, hello. There's a brief silence and then a woman, uh, woman's voice says, oh, hi there. She offers an embarrassed laugh. I'm sorry, I was having a little trouble with my headset. I've gotten this call a number of times in recent weeks at home and at work. And each time I've been suckered by the lifelike opening to stay on the line longer than I normally would for a robocall or a telemarketing pitch. This is a new and highly sophisticated racket known as the Can You Hear Me scam, which involves tricking people into saying yes and using that information to sign people up for stuff they didn't order. That's methodea. That's what it is. It's crafting something that can deceive someone to say yes to something that maybe they didn't want or they didn't desire, they didn't sign up for. That's not good for them. That's methodea. That's how I want you to think about the way in which the devil works. He's crafting new ways for you to sign up for something that isn't good for you. John 8, 44, Jesus says about the devil, he says, when he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He works with strategic cunning, trickery, lies, and deception. See, for many of us, you say, well, I I really don't see the spiritual realm in this world, but have you ever been tricked like that? Tempted in that way? Drawn away from God in that way? Might be his work. Next, where is he present? Look at verse 12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, First, Paul starts out with, for we do not wrestle. Okay, this is a word used for uh, wrestling during their day uh, in close proximity. Okay, so during that time, there were, there were uh, tournaments and matches that were going on. There were wrestling matches. And so people that would read this, that was the specific word that Paul uses here. He could have used another word for struggle, but he uses specifically this word for wrestle in close proximity. And so when we ask where the devil and demons, where are they present? His point is, it's right under your nose. It's right there in front of you. It's in close proximity to you. You're not far from it. And second, he says, okay, knowing that, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What does he mean here? Here's what he means. James Boyce says, we do not have a physical, tangible, uh, we do have a physical, tangible struggle, but over and above what we see, there is an invisible spiritual struggle going on against the devil and his forces. And so where is this battle that the Apostle Paul is talking about? Paul ultimately doesn't point to flesh and blood people as your ultimate enemy. He pulls back the curtain on the invisible structures within the world, the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces that hold people hostage and imprison them 
And within these structures, the enemy loves to work by planting seeds of discord, racism, hatred, envy, greed, arrogance, oppression, lust, and destruction. You say, where are these structures? They're everywhere. I want you to think about it for a minute. What happens when we start to pull back the curtain on the invisible structures of Hollywood? We get the Me Too movement. We get the Me Too movement. See, victims who have been manipulated, sexually assaulted, oppressed, abused, violated within the structures of Hollywood, entertainment, the sports world, And here's the thing, that's just pulling back the curtain a little bit. That's not the full view of what the structures are within that system. And that's just that system. And what we see is that it's even closer to our home than we could have imagined with friends and family that have struggled with the same thing. And it's disturbing. It should disturb us. It is evil. And let's ask, well, is this just new? Is this just new to the, the structure of even Hollywood? No. Because as I read back throughout the history of Hollywood, I've seen this same thing happen again and again with people with power and that use it to manipulate others and hurt others for their own gain. It's just being exposed. We've just got a little glimpse behind the curtain. And here's the thing. These are the places that the enemy works and he enjoys covering up evil with simplistic explanations like well it's just those people see it's just those people they're the ones with the problem and and so if we just get rid of those people everything's going to be great no remember Paul says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places Yet so many times we believe our only problem is just people and not the evil behind the curtain of this world aggravating our lives, causing hurt, pain, and division. And if we don't get this, we will think that our our human problems in this world are only solvable if we just fix those people. And we won't have the grace, mercy, understanding, of the darkness that is within this world. We won't have grace with other people. We won't have kindness. We won't have mercy with people because we think that our only problem is just those people and they need to be fixed. But that's not what the Bible says. You say, why are we so divided? There's a lot. It's complex. But there is an evil in this world. There is a darkness behind the curtain. There is a present evil. So lastly... How is the evil defeated? How is it defeated? Verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So there are two ways the enemy is defeated in this verse. The first is this. It's when believers in God take up the whole armor of God. They understand it's a battle and they say, okay, like God, I need your armor and and I don't have the time to go through all of the armor. That's another message, but the whole armor emphasizes the importance of total dependence on God's strength. 52.7, 57.19, and this is God's own armor. 
So God, the, the picture that we find in Isaiah is God is a warrior. Okay, so he's the hero of the story. And he's saying, here is my armor for you. Right, as you go out into battle, here is my armor. He's offering it to you and me through Jesus. See, what we need to understand is that we do not empower ourselves to fight the spiritual darkness in the world. The structures and systems within our world that produce injustice, we do not fight them on our own. Because there is dark, evil structures within the world, right? There is. And so God's saying, don't go out into that ill-equipped, but go into the battle with my armor, with my strength, with my ability, with my light. This is totally on God's strength and based off of everything that Jesus has done. Everything that Jesus has done in the gospel. So he says, take up the, full, the whole armor of God. That whole armor, it's important. Total dependence on God. But secondly, stand firm. So here's the thing when he talks about stand firm. We are not encouraged to go out and win the battle. Right, this isn't Ghostbusters where we go out there and we start saying, okay, I'm gonna go out here and go defeat the evil out in the world. He says, stand firm. Stand in God. See, we're encouraged to stand firm just like in Exodus 14, 14 where God says to Moses, be still, I'm gonna go win the battle. I'm gonna go fight the battle. But you need to stand firm in me. You need to be still in me and trust me. And so we stand in this world in God's strength, in his victory in Jesus. There's this amazing verse in Colossians 2.15 that says this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Triumphing over them by the cross. What is the ultimate victory over the evil that's in this world? It's the cross. It's the place in which when we look at the cross and people look at the cross, they see a beaten, bruised Jesus hanging on a cross. But with spiritual eyes as a believer, what we see is that the son of God is hanged upon a cross. He's hung upon the cross taking upon himself all the sins of the world. All the sins of the world. And so what is it that defeats ultimately the evil within this world? It is Jesus. It's the cross of Jesus. And it's not just like he barely wins, right? Like he escapes and then we're like, yes, he did it. But it says in Colossians that he made a public spectacle of the darkness in this world. A public spectacle. So I want you to think about this for a minute. If you were to come up to me this week and tell me that you had just played someone in chess, you're like, and here's what you say. You say, man, I just beat somebody in chess this week. It was amazing. But then you add and you start to add to how you defeated them and you started to say, you know what? I disarmed them. I disarmed them. 
And then you start to say, I made a public spectacle of them. What would my reaction be? What? You did what? You, wow. You really won. You did a great job. You must be like champion of chess or something because you made a public, public spectacle of them. And that's what it says specifically here about how Jesus defeats the darkness. And so as we talk about these things, you don't have to be afraid. In God, he's defeated them. And so here are just some quick takeaways. The first one is this. What do we do? All right, Randall, you just gave me all this information about things that I wasn't thinking I was going to come to church and talk about today or think about today. What do we do with that? Here's the first one. You need to know your enemy. You need to know your enemy. And so as we talked about throughout this, this series, your enemy is the world, the flesh, the devil. So it's, it's very complex. There are differences, right? And so when it comes to people who have these thoughts about the devil and how he's working in their life, they're, they're, they're just blaming everything. It's the devil's fault. It's the devil's fault. It's the devil's fault. I just want you to know that is not biblical, okay? And so understanding that we have a threefold enemy and that we need to take personal responsibility if we're struggling with sin. And say, yeah, it's, it was me. It's my flesh. It's, it's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. Or maybe it's the world. It's just the temptations of the world are trying to draw me in. And this is to, to live in a lifestyle that, that's living without God. And then maybe there is a, a spiritual element to this. William Gurnell, he's an he's a old pastor, Puritan pastor. He says, if men hear a noise at night, they cry out, the devil, the devil, and they run for their life. But they carry around the devil in their very hearts all day. For if they have a proud spirit or if they have resentment, you are under his power. Okay, and so that, that's what it looks like in a practical sense. It's, it's not going to be like all these crazy manifestations that you're seeing. But really, in a lot of ways, it's going to be temptations to live in a prideful way, arrogant way. And that's what you're going to face. So just know your enemy. The second is see the complexity Okay, again, another pastor, Richard Baxter, who did work on this and really thought through this in the 1600s, he wrote a book on depression. Okay, and, and here's the thing. It, it's complex in its answer. It's more complex than you'll find in any bookstore down the street because here's what he says. He says, here are the four possible causes of, of what you might be facing. He says, first, you're facing depression. It could be caused by something physical might be a physical cause. It might be that you need medicine or food or, or rest. He said maybe secondly, if it's, if it's not any of those things, he says there, there might be a, a psychological cause. You, you might need friends in your life that are going to be there. It might just be your temperament. And so maybe you just need some love and affirmation and, and support from a friend. He says, thirdly, there, there might be a moral cause. You, you might feel guilty about something or, or you might be angry at something or, or someone and, and maybe there's this guilt and anger that's just rising up and you just need to turn to God and, and repent. Say, God, I need your forgiveness, I need your help and I need reconciliation. And then lastly, he says, there might be something 
If you go through those and you check through those, there might be a spiritual element to it. But it isn't like this simplistic answer. It's very complex in nature, and that's what we see throughout the Bible. Okay, and, last, uh, and another one is understand evil days. Understand evil days. And so there might be days where you, you have days, like it talks about, it says um, in this, this passage in verse 13, to withstand in the evil day. Like, what does that mean? Well, there might be some days where you feel like there's so, something coming around you, shattering, shadowing over you, maybe this dark cloud over you. It might feel like it's taunting or jeering you and just like trying to undermine your day and, and feel guilty and, and tempted. And, and it's just like, you just feel all these things coming at you all at once. And you're like, what, what is this? You need to know that there are days that are like that, especially as a believer, where it's just, it's just not a great day. And so turning to God in those moments and, and saying, okay, facing it for what it is, because I'll give you, for instance, yesterday, my son, he's having a really bad day. It's like everything agitated him. Things are just going on. And it's just like, what is going on with him? And so I just took him aside real quick and I said, hey, buddy, you're obviously not having a great day. And I don't know what it is, man. Maybe it's just like, maybe it's, it's, it's the world, you know, just the pressures of the world, pressures that you're putting on yourself. Maybe it's just internal struggle, battle. Maybe there is a spiritual element. I don't know, but I'm gonna pray for you right now. I'm gonna pray over you. And I'm gonna pray that God help you to understand what it is so that you can turn to him in those things. And so we just prayed right there. Right? Like, I don't, under, I don't understand all this, but I know that it's in the scriptures. And so when you're having those evil days, maybe there might be something to it, and it's not just a series of coincidences. And so my encouragement is turn to Christ. And lastly, stand in Jesus. Stand in Jesus. When we talk about this, it says that you put on the belt of truth. What is the truth? God's word. How do you fight back against the enemy? That's how Jesus did it. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is it that makes you and I righteous? It's not my work. It's not my ability. It's not my strength. It is the work of Jesus and what he's done for me. That's the gospel, right? And so when you're being tempted and saying, man, what an evil person you are. What a terrible person you are. All those thoughts start going through your head. And you're like, how, how, how can I even get through this day? You need to know that Jesus is your breastplate and he's the one that covers your heart. He's the one that knows your heart. And he's the one that can help you through in the battle. It says readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is it that you hold on to? It is the gospel truth. He says, hold on that shield of faith. You know that it's, it's believing and trusting that God is going to get you where you need to be. And that ultimately the helmet of salvation, it protects you in every way through the word of God. And as you put on the helmet of salvation, you know that in your mind, you're a child of God, you're saved, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And when things are going on in your head and you're just feeling like, man, there's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could be there for me. You remember that he saved you by the blood of Jesus. That's it. Timothy Keller says, Satan doesn't control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. With lies in the heart. And so today, that is his greatest deception that he can use against you and me. It's the lies. It's the accusations. 
And how do you fight back? It's through knowing Jesus and through putting your hope in the cross and what he's done for you. See, that's our hope. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why did Jesus come? Why did he show up? He came into this world to defeat the darkness in this world because he loves you and he loves me. You know the way I knew that my son became a Christian? It was this, when we were sitting around the dinner table one night and we're having dinner and he just said, dad, I need to talk to you about something. And here's what he said. This is his words. He said, I feel like there's this darkness that keeps trying to pull my life away and it wants me. But then I know that God's there and he just keeps pulling me back and saying he's with me. And right in that moment, I knew that God was there with him the whole time. See, he was a hard kid growing up. Like he was, he was really crazy. Like if people, you ask people, they're like, yeah, he is totally changed. And I think a big part of it, some of it is he's just matured as a kid, but part, a big part of it, I think, is because of what God's done in his life. And so that night right there, we prayed and we said, okay, this is what it looks like to receive Jesus into your life. And we had that conversation. And a couple weeks later, he was baptized. And what I want, want to say is like, the reason Jesus came is to destroy the works of the enemy. And his power can do that in your life today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being with us, for helping us through it all. And I pray that you'll help us to have a, a proper understanding of all this, not to disregard it like it's not in the scriptures or to overlook it, but to truly be people of your word and to understand it in a, in a way that is helpful and that is um, honoring to you. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.